it was October of 1965 when this Los Angeles rock band released a top hit that reached number one by the first week in December. Some of you will remember who this band is and what the song might have been. Do any of you remember Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds? What a a fantastic, boy, this is marking time, isn't it? Um, Just a little bit of trivia here. Does anybody recognize who that is, the furthest one on the right in that group? You get double points for this. That is David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Isn't that interesting? Now, some of you are saying, who is Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? (laughs) I loved that song. I loved that song. It was such an optimistic tune, a happy little tune that I went around singing for ages once it gets into you, you've got to hum it or you've got to whistle it. You've got to sing it. Do you remember how that went? I bet some of you remember. To everything. Don't leave me out here. Come on. To everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season turn, turn, turn. Okay, you've got it. We won't go through the entirety of the song. We have just heard the scripture from which those lyrics are straightway taken, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But I want to say that the sentiment of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is very, very different than the sentiment of that song, at least the melody of the song. The words may be the same, but it is not the same when you put it to that joyful little melody. The royal philosopher, this teacher, this preacher, Koholith, as he has been called, Ecclesiastes, his name, he didn't have the brightest outlook. And you know that. If you were listening last Sunday as we considered the first chapter of this short little book, you remember that he starts it with the phrase, vanity, vanity, it's all but vanity. And remembering the definition of this word, absurdity, absurdity, it's all just absurdity. As he is analyzing life, he has become very wearisome. All things are wearisome, in fact, he says. This chasing after the wind, chasing after the wind. Do you ever find yourself feeling that way? We fight against it. This sense of futility in our work. This futility in our indulgences. This futility even in our wisdom. And certainly in our folly. In our foolishness and then to think will we ever be remembered I mean certainly some people will rise to the place of being remembered but this writer makes the point that not only are the generations past not remembered but even the generations that are to come 
will not be remembered. And so he asks the very logical question, what good is it? It's all absurdity. Our ambitions in the long run mean very, very little. You've heard the expression, she's looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. This unabashed optimism, this glass-half-full perspective where you see the world with such hope and with such promise that everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, that it is seasoned by that kind of quote-unquote grace. This can be a plague upon life. If not your life, somebody else's life. This kind of optimism. I remember listening to an interview with Ray Goff years and years ago. He was that unfortunate guy who had to follow Vince Dooley as head coach at the University of Georgia. Wouldn't you love that job? And I can remember in the interview, and this was post his employment there, for he had a short season with the university as head coach, that he was reflecting on his efforts uh, toward being positive in every place. He always, when he was in front of the cameras, was reporting of the, the good opportunities for the next season. He was looking at the next game, which was going to be putting in good place what did not happen today. But next week, just watch. And in fact, we have some good ones that are coming from the ranks of high school football that are going to populate our team like never before, over and over again. He was always this very positive voice in the news. And in his reflection, in this short little interview, he, he said, I really think my optimism is what did me in. <laughs> and I think there were probably some others that would have agreed with him as well. You see, it was sort of this Tower of Babel approach to life. You know, if we work together, there's nothing we can't do. And that kind of optimism, although it's sort of a get-on-the-bandwagon approach to life, it has an energy to it. It's something that is finally painful to keep in place day in and day out. That's why this Ecclesiastes 3 is such a gift, because it offers a reprieve from this way of thinking, that every day has to be better than the last day, that somehow we're going to make it better than we could ever make it, and that we've ever even thought of making. It is intended to be a reality check. <clears throat> 14 
couplets, antithesis of each other, 28 observations of life. And you know these things. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Every farmer would know what he's supposed to do at that time of the year, of course, in putting the seed out and then in gathering. If you're looking out at the land now, you know the gathering is going on. A time to kill and a time to heal. I heard of one gentle soul who had been asked by her pastor to read this passage in worship and she politely declined that opportunity and he said why and she said I just don't really believe in that killing part huh and I guess that is where it causes us to remember that these words here are not prescriptive They're descriptive of what we're already encountering in life for good or bad. And that's what the teacher's point is. This is what we are encountering. It is not telling us specifically that we are to go and break down walls, although... You remember that famous statement, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was a good thing. It is not telling us that when something is torn, it's time to get out the sewing machine and fix it. A time to tear and a time to sew. It doesn't mean that that there's a time to put things into your closet and clean things out of your closet, although it says here a time to keep and a time to throw away. What the writer is trying to say to us is that you're going to observe these things happening throughout your life. It is the pattern of life that these things will occur. I am glad that that last statement sort of reverses the... the, the words and allows us to end with peace instead of with war on our minds I have wondered if there should be a clock in the sanctuary Not that I want you timing my sermons and by the way that is not the correct time okay I've got more time than that But how can we enhance our awareness of what is going by us in every day? Even with our best efforts, we get lost in the work, whatever that may be. Even when I talk with people who are retired, they say, I've never been busier than I am right now. And we get lost in the responsibilities that eat up our days. Wherever you are in life, it is possible to move through your days without being aware of anything else that's going on. No observations made. No descriptions. 
in our mind we're just living and I guess when we look at these words at the very least we must gain a sense that there is something beautiful about realizing that there is a time to keep silence at certain points that people will find their silence and that at other points people will find that place to communicate and to speak these observations that give us a sense of life how can we enhance our awareness in Psalm chapter 90 the words are written teach us to number our days that we may have hearts filled with wisdom God's gift of life to us is this numbering of our days but you've already figured this out haven't you that the teacher Koholeth Ecclesiastes this preacher of sorts that gathers people to listen really has become trapped himself in his own world do you remember that last week in our reading through the passage of scripture that we considered that we read those words there is nothing new under the sun do you remember that there is nothing new under the sun what a difficult and sad place to be when I graduated from seminary they shipped me off to southwest Georgia which I thought was right near the edge of this planet and it was really before I even knew how to tie my shoes very well but the people there were very patient with me my first two funerals were of an older couple in my congregation there I had been to visit them a number of times at their little wood framed house tucked under some oaks way way out in the country I had traveled to their house on these washboard roads and when I would arrive I would go in I never knew them but what one of them was not sick and in the bed they had a daughter who lived with them and took care of them she was older than I and I can remember speaking to Evelyn and coming in quietly to be with her parents Marion and Roussel Marion died first and I can remember that after Marion died Roussel went down quickly as I think is the case between people that are bound so closely it wasn't but a couple of months that Roussel lived after Marion before she died but I do remember very well visiting with Roussel and she didn't talk to me a whole lot Evelyn really did the talking the whispering in that little room 
And yet I remember to this day that Roussel would be laying in her bed simply saying over and over again, lift me up, Lord. Lift me up, Lord. Lift me up, Lord. And I thought to myself, what does that mean to her? You know what? Now I have learned to tie my shoes. And I know well enough that I am the one that's asking the question now. What does that mean to me? For I have learned that I want to retain in life this suppleness of spirit where God lifts me to him and God makes himself known to me in such a way that it breaks through all of the monotony of just these observations of the ebb and flow of life, even though there is beauty to that. And God bless the birds for singing about it. The B-Y-R-D-S. But there is more to life than what I'm reading in these verses. And I think the teacher, Ecclesiastes, may have lost this at some point. Now, we are in the season of ordinary time. I bet you didn't even realize that. Some of you may. Uh, but the Christian calendar year is marked by events. We move from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany. We celebrate the baptism of our Lord at the beginning of the year. And of course then there is this time of waiting until we begin the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday. We get to the celebration of Easter and then we are in waiting mode with those scriptures after Easter for the season of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on the church and Pentecost lasts but one day. It used to be that the church used to call it the days after Pentecost. But they came to another understanding. I don't know who prompted this. But they simply began to call it all ordinary time. Ordinary time. And so we're in ordinary time right now. Isn't that exciting? Don't you want to live in ordinary time? <laughs> Here we are waiting on Advent to come. We're in ordinary time. I want to live in an expectant time. I want to live in a time of waiting. Knowing that God can break through at any moment. God knows we need God now, right? How wonderful to appreciate the patterns of life. But how sad to not know the interventions of a blessed Lord who gave his only son to die for us. This morning when I raced into the parking lot and I, if any of you ever see me coming in, you usually will see me on two wheels as I try to make it in on time. I pulled in. And I saw a fellow that was working with something in the back of his car. His hatch was opened and I thought, well, 
I don't know what he's doing, but I raced into the office and began to get ready. And then I began to, to hear this music and I thought, Wendy's left, um, I don't know, Siri going, you know, or Alexis. And I thought, that's interesting because it's, it's beautiful hymns that I'm hearing. And so I walked back into Wendy's office and I leaned over toward her little Alexis, her little dot, Amazon dot, and I thought, the music's not coming from there. But I knew the music was coming from somewhere. And so I moved around in her office and I thought, where is this coming from? And then I realized it was louder when I was closer to the window and I thought, has somebody figured out a way to make windows broadcast music? This, my brain is not fully in gear at this time. But all of a sudden I looked out the window and what do I see out there but a man standing at the back of his car with some music coming out and he has a trombone and he's playing it is well with my soul and I thought who in our congregation plays the trombone and I walked out into the parking lot and up to this gentleman and I introduced myself and he told me who he was and I said I want to tell you that this is a blessing he said, I didn't know how you would react. He said, I thought you were going to come tell me to stop. And I said, oh, no. I said, you continue right on. He said, I'll take it up until 11 o'clock when y'all start worship. I said, this is a blessing. He said, I started this. He said, I started this six months ago. He said, the Lord spoke to me and said, get out and on the road. And he said, I do this not just in church parking lots, but in many locations. And he said, I will just set up and start playing and people will come up to me. <laughs> he said, literally, he said, he said, in these six months, I have witnessed thousands giving their heart to God anew. I said, this is unbelievable. Such a simple thing. Standing and playing a trombone. Casting out these beautiful hymns. Are you and I just sort of waiting to die? Don't you get this? A time to be born. A time to die. I've already been born. So what's coming next? A time to die. Are you and I just waiting on a time to to die or is something else going on can you imagine that morning at the empty tomb <laughs> how the women were transfixed overwhelmed with the thought of possibilities of what God could do to shake up the order. There was no ordinary time then. <laughs> I can tell you that. Nothing ordinary about that space, that time. They were moved with such, at first, fear. 
and disbelief that their lives were recreated by the one who can take the parameters of the sun rising and the sun setting, the day in and the day out of our work, the patterns of our life, 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 and completely making something new of time and space. And so I ask you again a very personal question. Are you waiting to die? Is that what is going on? Or do you really think that God might have another thought for what life might be?